0: There was no doubt that we had to help to shape some people's attitudes to being in a community. People have lost a sense of belonging. They don't feel significant to others. Their self-worth is low. They're lonely with a hybrid world. You don't have that when you're in a community.
1: You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay
2: Greetings and hello, I am James Robert Lay and welcome to episode 294 of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Penny Power to the show. With 35 years of experience and knowledge in business, Penny has a desire to make a positive change in business culture and in leadership and her mission is to support companies to build community first cultures so that every person they feel heard They feel understood. They feel appreciated, which is exactly what Penny and I are going to talk about today to guide you, dear listener, so that you can guide others at your bank, at your credit union, or at your fintech. Welcome to the show, Penny. It is great to share time together with you today.
0: No, it's fantastic. Well, you've invited me to talk about my favorite subject, so I am delighted. And you're making me feel heard. So, you know, What could be better?
2: (laughs) Well, you know, before we get too deep into community and connection and and bringing people together through technology, what is good for you right now, personally or professionally? It is always your pick to get started on a positive note.
0: Well, actually, I've just come off a Zoom with a very large technology company um, based in Seattle, and it was very interesting talking to them about the subject of community Hmm. because um, it's a subject that I've banged and banged on about (laughs) since 1998. And I actually talked to this lady who feels like she's, you know, uh, walking up a very steep hill trying to get it understood in her company. I said, it's been a test for the last 25 years for me to keep, you know, to keep evangelising a subject which finally is being talked about and is becoming um, really understood to a certain extent. So what is really good is I am getting a lot of inquiries from people asking me to either speak or get help with creating some strategy on how to create community in their organizations, either internal ones, or external with their stakeholders. So I'm enjoying it. Finally, I mean, I, yes, I have been involved in community building it myself. And therefore I had some level of self-empowerment around that. But now to have other companies starting to realize it's important, that's exciting.
2: Well, I do see its importance, particularly through the lens of financial services. Here in the U.S., we have a tremendous amount of, quote-unquote, community financial brands, community banks, family-owned banks, credit unions, etc. And I think historically, they have viewed community through the lens of Physical world, zip codes, location, city, state, province, etc. But you bring up a very good point when you're talking about community, and I appreciate first your dedication and playing a game in decades, twenty five years, to have the commitment, to have the dedication, the discipline to this particular subject matter that, as you said, is starting to to gain more awareness. I want to roll the clock back just a bit, 25 years, of how you got started on this community-building journey, and then we'll leap back to the present moment and gain some more perspective of the differences between community and network to provide more clarity for the dear listener. So take us back in time, 25 years.
0: I will. So 25 years, 1998. um, So I was 33 Everybody's calculating now, so I'm in my late 50s now. The internet was really emerging, so we had e-commerce and e-procurement. And my career to that date, I had been in the IT sector, but my career could have been in any sector to a certain extent because I really loved leadership. And I was aware of the fact, because somebody told me, that I was a servant leader. So a servant leader is somebody who leads in order to serve others. And it was it was a very natural state for me. And I'm not saying that in any form of ego state. It, it actually evolved because when I was 19 and I joined the IT industry in 1983, I had absolutely no desire at all to be in business. I actually wanted to be in something more um, caring-based. I was wanting to become a physiotherapist or work with cerebral palsy children. Tripped into the um, business world whilst I was waiting to get in to have a place to, to study that at university. My first day going into business, business world felt very alien to me. And I did, definitely thought this was just going to be a seven month journey. But I was very lucky. My first boss gave me the opportunity to bring my sort of whole self into the work and and be very emotional and really seek out deep relationships with my clients. And I had a very different style of the way that I um, found business in terms of my first order came because I sent some cough sweets to a, a guy who had a terrible cough. And, you know, it, it, I just didn't use scripts. It was, I just love people. I have a genuine yeah. love for people and I tend to emotionally bond. I remember being out doing field sales for the first time when I was 20. And, uh, cause I obviously didn't go into physiotherapy in the end. Um, and as, as he got up to say goodbye, this guy, I just gave him a hug and, and he looked quite shocked. And, but to me, I've, I've always been in a very tactile family and I'm a tactile person.
1: Just like people feel stressed about money, we understand digital growth can also feel confusing, frustrating and overwhelming. But it doesn't have to feel this way for you because you can join the Digital Growth University to gain clarity through education, to overcome the fear of the unknown. Build your team's courage with a growth strategy to eliminate the fear of change and increase your confidence with coaching to remove the fear of failure. Visit digitalgrowth.com university to apply.
2: I want to pause you real fast. Empathy, caring, people-centric, even to the point of having a level of awareness, that your first sell came from simply being aware that someone had a cough, they had a pain, and you wanted to provide a path to resolve that pain. And as a result, that helped you, and it wasn't even a pain for the business, it was a pain for them personally, that helped you to get that sell. So I think that's an important part to just cue in because that's gonna lead into, I think, deeper level connections going forward.
0: Yeah, that's really good, James. You articulated that beautifully. And the thing that's really critical here is it was not done with any agenda or a mm. forethought on this, correct? At all. Um, and it was interesting. My first, when I got promoted to my first supervisory position, the people who I was promoted above had been in the company a year or two longer than me, and they were obviously very uncomfortable about that. And I sort of took each person into a separate room and basically I was supervising a telesales group. Mm. And I said to them, how can I help you in your in your career aspirations? And one of them said, well, I want a company car. And she was quite shitty with me about it. And I <laughs> said, um, okay, let me go and find out how I get you a company car. And I went off to my boss and said, how do you get a company car in this company? And he said, well, you have to achieve these targets in telesales and then you get into field sales. So I rushed back to her and said, look, Nikki." If I help you, if we achieve these targets, you will get your company car. And she said, wow, that's great. And that was the first time she had that moment of clarity. But of yeah. course, by her and I working together for her to achieve that, we achieved great results as a team. And yes. so this was when I was first called a servant leader. And the, you know, many people know the book by Robert Greenleaf about servant leadership. And it's interesting on the 10 principles of servant leadership. Number 10 is build community. And so um, so I did build a great career in the IT sector through watching the mainframe um, become the desktop on, on your office desk. And then it was in 98 when the internet was really starting to take off and it was e-procurement and e-commerce that I said to Thomas, my husband, who is the most phenomenal networker. He introduced the concept of networking to me. I'd never... Working in a company in the 80s, it, I wasn't aware of the term net networking, um, but he's just got the most phenomenal heart for connecting people, very unconditional, and the most frighteningly incredible memory for people and positions and jobs that they hold and the skills they have. Um, and he was he was matching people into jobs all the time. And I said to him, you know, this whole growth of um, startups and this whole dot com world there's going to be so many people working from home building their businesses and they're going to get lonely and I'd really love to create a community for them and so we created a company called Academy and that was the first social network in the world so a little bit later came Rise and they were Californian based Mm -hmm. Um, linked LinkedIn came four years later Reid Hoffman was actually one of our members and um, so we created Academy Very much friendship first was um, friendship first, commerce second was the mantra. And we charged people 10 euros or $10 or 10 pounds to use it. So we really introduced very early on in the early 2000s, the concept of software as a service, actually people paying to access. Um, And we introduced the concept of groups and we called them clubs. And overnight, I remember creating the code and saying to our members on a blog on our site, you know, tonight we're creating the, uh, the ability for you to create clubs and people were say, what's a club? And we'd already taught most of them what a blog was, you know, saying that a web blog, you know, we're talking real history here. Of
2: yes, history. absolutely. And, uh,
0: we separated our blogs on the front page of our website, social and business. So you could write, Robert James Robert Lay could have a social blog and he could have a business blog. So it was a bit like Facebook and LinkedIn before they were invented. And it was interesting to see that the social blogs got far more traction. So the who you are was far more powerful than the what you do. Uh, right. But the who you are built the trust and then people got interested in what you do. Anyway, yeah. overnight 275 clubs were born. And you know, I've got to keep reminding the listener this this concept did not exist.
2: Nineteen ninety four, the internet kind of reaches the mass consciousness of humanity. Uh, July 5th, 1994, Jeff Bezos begins to transform the way that we're going to shop and buy yep. for decades to come. May 18th, 1995, Wells Fargo launches the very first online banking platform. Yep. 1997, Netflix is born. 1998, 99, you also now have Napster as well with music. So there's a lot of yep. massive transformation happening. But what you're doing is you're looking back to the example of the cough drop is you're looking for the, the common patterns of pain that people feel and experience and looking for cures and solutions to ease people's pain, to ease people's suffering which is then at the heart of the servant leader, who you just are naturally, except you're able to do this at a scale that was not possible before. And then with the collaboration, and I think that's another kind of key underlying theme here, the collaboration coming from the community, but it also started with your husband as well, who is this you know, networker, this natural networker. And that's where I want to pause just for a bit because back in the day, quote unquote, and I also want to give you and the dear listeners some context of what's going on in my experience because in 2002, I was launching an early quote unquote social network to solve a, a very specific problem for university students. My friend, Robin Harris, we went to high school together He's at Baylor University in Texas. I'm at the University of Houston, Clear Lake. He calls me up and he said, hey, you know that college bookstore? I said, yeah. I said, you buy a book for $300 and then you sell it for $10 back to them. The economics don't make sense. He said, what if we found a way to connect students together with students to trade books to bypass the bookstore? And so we built a university community of about ten to 15,000 people at Baylor University called bearswap.com. Mm-hmm. And it was students connecting with students and not just swapping books, but swapping video games and whatever that they didn't want. If they were moving out, they had a way to get rid of it. And if you think about back, quote, unquote, back in the day, it was called social networks or social networking. So let's pause here because – in your opening perspective, you shared that there is a difference between community building and networking. Where where does this begin to delineate?
0: The fascinating what you did. I mean, you're a real early forerunner on understanding this stuff, and you know it was a real exciting pioneering time, wasn't it? So mm-hmm. we were emotionally building this business because um, Thomas was Thomas is the brand builder, the person going out, finding the people, spreading the word about it, going all over the world doing it. I was looking after the culture of it and welcoming people and giving people a sense of love and belonging and togetherness and setting the culture and actually bringing out the best of every individual because everybody wants to be a good person and everybody wants to bring their best out. and, And when you give permission for that and you create a culture for that, it's quite phenomenal. Um, so there were, there, there was a very interesting. It's, it's interesting. At one stage, I was going to study the psychology when I um, had a place actually to do psychology at university, and it became this psychological study of the way people behave. Mm. Uh, and we see it big time now, you know, from the people who are aggressive, nasty people, through to the people who are trying to be business people, but they have, you know, they're so passion led that they don't know how to actually create a business. And so we, you had this, you know, highly transactional people, you had the trolls all the way through to uh, very emotionally driven people. Ultimately, you're trying to get people to learn to network as a verb with one another, but with a culture of community. Yeah. And so, how would I define community? Community gives you a sense of belonging. So, people will say, and I listen out to these words all the time. I use such and such a network, like I use LinkedIn. I, I wouldn't say I belong to LinkedIn. People will say I use LinkedIn, but they will say I belong to, and they used to say I belong to um, Academy. And it became so interesting watching the citizens. And I think it's a big part of this topic is it's about the citizens, the citizens feeling empowered to make this community beautiful and also become protective of it, like you do at home in your own town or village. So they even came up with a term for what they are. They would say, I'm an academist. And they started to wear their academy badges when they went out networking to lots of things because it stood for something. And a community has to have values and stand for something and for the citizens to be very proud that they belong to it. Very different to using it as a utility in your business. Um, So... You know, there was no there was no doubt that we had to help to shape some people's attitudes to being in a community, and actually this was where we had such high level values around this that in a way we became unstuck because when LinkedIn and Facebook, Twitter, so if we look at the timeline, LinkedIn two so we were 1998 linkedin 2002 facebook 2004 twitter 2008 etc cetera, etc cetera. this was the birth of networking online mm. and it was also the birth of social media and we saw the change from social networking to social media from conversation to broadcast yes and people ultimately in business people are looking for shortcuts how can i be most productive you know, people wanted to start delegating to somebody in their company that would do their digital marketing. They started to disconnect. um, And they certainly didn't think that building relationships was going to give them enough um, back in a quick enough return. So people would come on and they'd be looking for instant return on investments. So we had a heyday around 2005 to 2008. Fantastic. Right. It was just the most phenomenal business. The subscriptions were great. The atmosphere was great. And then we started to get more churn, people leaving because they couldn't be bothered to make the effort. They were saying, why do you charge? Um, and we weren't charging because we were wanting to be mega wealthy. And there's a whole new story, another story in my book. that I've written Business as Personal. Chapter two is called Being Broken. And it's the whole journey that we went through that, and how it, Ended up breaking us, our, yeah. our sense of identity and our finances. But um,
2: it's the dark. It's the dark. It's the dark night of of the soul. It's you. You yeah. have to really journey through the lows of the lows. And as an entrepreneur I myself, yeah. I, I emphasize with this. Yeah,
0: and I think it's when you check and say, "Do I want to?" You know, there were so many moments that we could have shifted our values and our beliefs and created a very different business, but we didn't and at the end of the day you have to live with yourself and this is why at the top of the show when you said how are you feeling this is why now is so exciting for thomas and i because now people have lost a sense of belonging they don't feel significant to others their self-worth is low they're lonely with the hybrid world their human needs their human emotional needs are not being met we have you know i'm an advocate of social media absolutely but we also have massive phone addictions and comparison problems and mm. mental health challenges from it. And um, community, you don't have that when you're in a community.
2: When you're talking about network, social networks, social media, I use LinkedIn. When you're talking about this idea of a community, it is a place of belonging. It is a mm-hmm. place of identity. And to go back, you were, You were connecting people. You were giving them that sense of belonging, that sense of identity. And then something happened. Like you said, 2008, 2009, the transaction became the primary focus, not for you, not for your husband, but I would say at maybe just more of a macro level, but we're seeing the pendulum, I think, begin to shift the other way to where the transformation of people is far greater value than the transaction of dollars and cents through the lens of banking. And, and that's where I look at, at, at community institutions, community organizations, yeah. bringing people together to connect, say for example, personal passion topic of mine. You, you share that you're an accidental entrepreneur. Um, my last real job was waiting tables and playing in a punk rock band 20 plus years ago. And if you think about local community financial institutions, community banks, and credit unions supporting the local businesses by really facilitating that sense of belonging, and then, well, what about the quote-unquote the return? Well, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of investment to facilitate that. And I'm like, well, you take time, you invest time, to go to the chambers of commerce events and you meet people in the real world, what if you were able to take those in those connections at a local level and then you just bring them back and you have that sense of belonging at a at a greater scale? Yeah. Think, thinking about the experience here and everything that you've learned, and now that the the, the pendulum is swinging back the opposite direction, where do you find leaders? struggling with what it takes to establish expand and ultimately grow community as part of their brand persona
0: yeah that's a really interesting question because I think one of the things that makes me useful to know is that I have commercial and business acumen and um, you know I have come through the business world so whilst I have, you know, if you cut me in half, you know, there's, there's the emotional penny and then there's the business penny. I believe in community-led growth and I believe that businesses need to find a model within community that makes financial sense to them. So yeah. I talked to somebody else who contacted me earlier about um, doing some speaking and then they started talking about their own organisation and how they've attempted to do community. And they said, but we didn't have enough resource and money to keep the community going. And unless you make it financially viable, and I'm very happy to talk about our case study um, around. Yes, please. Unless you make it financially viable, you will never give it the attention in an organization. So, you know, there are commercial metrics when it's an internal community and there's commercial metrics when it's working with the stakeholder community. And I absolutely love brainstorming and working out that strategy. So the thing is that, once, you know, when when Chris Anderson wrote the book Free and the world went free and the expectation of the consumer went free, it was a very dangerous path that we went on then, uh, you know, and of course, some people have managed to shape that freemium model to yep. very well in their organisations. Some people have got very confused with what should be free and what should be charged and they haven't created the right strategy. And... For us, we were charging, and it meant, first of all, that as soon as you take a payment from someone, no matter how small it is, there is a financial commitment. There is a thought mm. that somebody gets that card out of the wallet or double clicks on their phone or whatever the payment, there is a transaction taking place which creates consideration as to how much I am willing to contribute and what do I want to gain from this. Um, and what, so a commerci- they have to be commercially viable. That's the first thing, and I was—we were very worried when we saw the world going free, not because of our business model, but because it was creating a different attitude towards this world that um, uh, Sir Tim Berners Lee could could envisage. Um, so, the, yeah, the commercial—I think what you were alluding to is commercial. Let me explain our case study, really. Please. I mean, so we decided. So I'll take you on a little bit of a journey, so Thomas and I, from two thousand and twelve when Academy just could not survive any longer financially it just it, 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 we were, we became the beautiful pub I think anybody in the world knows what a pub is a lovely English pub with the leather sofas that were a little bit cut, and the fluff was coming out of them and the you know and the the, the fireplace was a bit grubby. We became that place that people loved stepping into and felt safe, but it wasn 't squeaky clean code but it was lovely okay yes and some people we had 650,000 members in the end that did not want us to close but they at the same time they 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 were saying why should we be paying and it was a real mess then so in 2012 it came we decided let's we, we've got to bring it to a close and Thomas and I went into the, we call our wilderness years where i started another couple of businesses thomas did non-executing and consulting and speaking and we started some mastermind groups to help some business owners because we love being around business owners. And, um, and then COVID struck. And in so COVID struck in the pandemic in March 20. And around about the summertime, people were starting when they realised this was going to go on a bit longer, people started contacting us and saying, I need a sense of community again. And will you start a community again? The next morning, I woke up and I turned to Thomas and I said, we can do community again, but let's only do it for 100 people. Okay. Because what Uh, we discovered with Academy was Academy was was actually made up of about 6,500 groups. All had, on average, around 100 people in them. Either, you know, the Houston group, the New York group, the Dubai group. And we realized that actually if we could create a group of 100 people, we could create the type of intimacy between us and them because the academy became a machine. So we could create the intimacy, we can we can actually interview people and make sure that they know that they're going into a community and that the ROI is not going to be instant. So we can look for people that have community value. So we charged 249 pounds, so roughly $300 a year, a month for this. And we have created the most phenomenal community. So what that gives us is 25,000 UK pounds. So I don't know what, $30,000 a month to provide a community that has massive resources in it. Thomas and I can give a lot of our time to it.
2: I want to highlight this for the dear listener because a CEO might be listening at a community financial brand, um, a chief operating officer of yeah. a, a, someone, a CFO, a CMO community does not have to mean a thousand, 10,000, a hundred thousand people for it to be viable yeah. because what you did with BIP 100 or businesses personal, it's a hundred people. Yeah, just a hundred people. Now, I I want the dear listener to do a blue sky exercise. Imagine if your community financial brand that is serving a niche market, let's say small to mid sized business entrepreneurs, you facilitate a community that supports these one hundred entrepreneurs at a local market level. Yeah. Where else might they get those connections? And I think that's the key takeaway right here is community, I, I think we think Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, massive global, but you're looking at a different approach of exclusive, because now it comes back to the point you are making before. This is where people really feel that sense of citizenship, membership, belonging, Let's dive into that there yeah. when you're talking
0: about citizenship. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And yeah, I think anybody you know, we all got obsessed with building the unicorns, building scale, you know, Thomas and I were on that path. Um, yeah. But actually we have to look when we're building and when we're building a community, you have to look at it from a citizen's point of view. So if I use the metaphor of a pub again, if, I'm, if I go into a pub and I walk in and there are 5,000 people in it and I'm fighting to get to the bar, I'm not going to enjoy it as much as if it was fewer people and they remember my name and they knew that what drink I like. Right. So we, this is about we really have to look at a community from a citizen's point of view and and, and and turn the model on its head, completely on its head, which is what are the pains and the needs of our citizens and how by serving those will mm. we support our organization yes how will it work for us and how can we create the financial model that adds so much value to our business and it might be it might be what well, we work we're talking to one organization that are wanting to serve product managers across the across the world particularly because of the product that they that they're, they're delivering and and so that's going to be a, a community of product managers but it might be that we find other sets of commonalities that put them into different groups mm-hmm. that give them that sense of significance and contribution so um so if i talk further now about how that works within bit 100 thomas's and my role is to curate great people into this community in the same way that if we were running a village or a town we would want to say come and live in this place because there are great people here You're going to feel safe. You're going to feel loved. You're going to like what goes on. You're going to love the different coffee shop, the bar, the this, the this. So ours is about bringing in experts, people who are service deliverers and have a particular expertise, and they are global. So we've got some in Houston. We've got them all over the world, our members, because they can deliver their service globally. Yes. We have to remember that all 100 also have their networks and their connections behind them as well. So our job is to curate great people. Our second job is to create the right culture so that when they arrive, they know what to expect, that nobody drops litter in this town and there's not much crime here and all of that. We create the culture that nobody's going to be abusive, that is here to be kind. So we say the diversity of expertise, but the commonality of kindness. So when somebody joins BIP, the first thing they say to us when we ask them how they're getting on is, I cannot believe how kind people are here. Even though you said Penny, they were going to be kind. I can't believe how kind they are. We also have a set of values of don't don't forget this is a business community. So we don't want you giving your expertise away to one another. So you can give advice. You can spend 15 minutes listening to someone's challenges. You can connect them to someone. But do not erode your, your capacity to make money by being here. And so there is – so, so a marketplace has taken place just like – I could love the lady that runs the coffee shop in my local town, but I'm going to pay her for that coffee. Yeah. Yes.
2: yes. So,
0: so and then we say we're running some virtual events. So we run three or four Zooms a week with different, different um, uh, themes. So we run uh, on a Monday evening uh, GMT um we run uh, our daughter actually runs it she's a very powerful high performance coach she does one on flow how to get your business and it's very much looking at you as an individual and how you can enjoy your business more tuesday morning our son who's a um an expert in neuroscience he's done a master's in neuroscience he does a mental well-being morning so really helping people to improve their mental state around um understanding how they can influence their brain chemistry um we do a podcast where we interview our members live on a Wednesday. And on a Thursday, members do skill sessions for one another. So you could come in and do a skills session, for example, on um, digital growth. You know, uh, how do you, how do you uh, uh, manage that? And by doing that, you're contributing to the community, giving your skills for an hour and a half. But you're being spotlighted and people really know what they are. And then we have face-to-face events. So we run the events, but there are lots of gaps in our town where who's running the tennis, who's running the cricket, who's doing this, who's doing that. And the citizens come forward and say, I would like to run this. And so we've got somebody who does mindfulness on a Monday. We've got somebody who does a mastermind for 90 minutes. Whatever their expertise is, they can form those events and we put them in our calendar. So the citizens are being empowered to make this town better. And that is really important for the growth of so that everybody grows within it, yes, um, and, and I, that's true citizenship because everybody wants to contribute to one another.:
2: Citizenship leads to ownership, yeah. and what I'm hearing as a potential opportunity for the dear listener is think about community as a facilitation opportunity to attract the right people and those people within the community. Once again, let's say you you bring together a community of entrepreneurs at a local market level and behind them, back to your point, they have their, their people that they have um, relationships with. And then most importantly, as a facilitator, the work to create content and facilitate connections yep. becomes that of the citizens or the members because they have now taken ownership to take what you have established and make it even that much better going forward into the future.
0: Exactly, exactly. And, and so we have to look at community as the best example of what you would see in the offline world, a place that you love to live. And if you take that to another level, you think some people move into a town and they're not highly social, they won't go to the pub, but they do knock on people, the neighbours' doors and have a glass of wine. Well, that's, they will enjoy having one-to-ones with one another. And we don't judge yes. them, they're not visible, they don't come to the zooms That's their best way of contributing. And some of our members get highlighted as they pass business there. You know, One of our members, they found 17 suppliers within BIP. And they said to wow. us, we bip it. I bip it. I don't Google it. When I'm looking for an expertise, I bip it. So um, it's, a, it's a citizenship mindset that's really important. What is critical here is that we are all getting a little bit fatigued with the exhaustive nature of social media and the hustling. We look on LinkedIn. I'm a great fan of LinkedIn. I use it every day. Um, I connect with extraordinarily brilliant people but we all see the people that are hustling for business on LinkedIn and we're exhausted with it. And so community is now the antidote to that. And it's also the antidote to loneliness and a sense of not being important to anyone. And many people suffer huge self-worth and sense Mm. of lack of worthiness for attention. And when you come into a community and you are given the attention, It's amazing. I want to leave, I think we're coming to the top of the show, but Daniel Hammond, who beautifully um, introduced us, came and and stayed with us um, and and came to church with us, to our church. And he was telling us how in his church they have healing circles. So when one person is in pain, Mm -hmm. they don't just go and sit and do a prayer with one of the other people. They actually form a healing circle around that person of at least three people. And I thought that is really powerful because they've realized that to put three people around one person has much more impact in the healing of that person than just one person, because the sense of people caring and really making you feel worthy and giving you ideas and innovative thoughts is much more powerful than just a one-on-one approach.
2: So just to, start to tie all of this up and i want to always like to leave with one question community brings people together to connect connecting leads to new collaborations that fill capability gaps that that we might not be able to have filled otherwise or we would have taken a lot longer so there's a shortcut there back to your example of a uh, a bit member finding 17 suppliers they don't google it they bip it i love that and, and that that collaboration leading to new capability ultimately increases the confidence of everyone who's involved in this because sometimes um, they're giving, sometimes they're receiving, but I'd be willing to bet, particularly within the BIP community, they probably give far more than they take. And that's where Joe Polish is in the back of my mind, Who wrote a fantastic book? Um, uh, What's in it for them? And he always says, Life gives to the giver and takes from the taker. On that note, what would you give? What would your recommendation be for the dear listener today to who is like, Yeah, I'm connecting with this and I can see how we could we could build a community of like minds around a common purpose, around a common bond for a particular market within maybe our physical community. And maybe we do it with 100 people. Maybe we do it with 50 people. Maybe we just start with 10 people and scale up from there over time. What can they do practically speaking right now in the present moment to begin to make forward progress that they don't get overwhelmed as all future growth starts with a small step today?
0: So the first step is that when people apply, and we've had over 3,000 people apply to join Bit 100, um, Thomas spends time with them on Zoom. And the majority of people say, I want to join your community because I want to give, but I don't need any, I don't want to take from it. And we say to them that if we built a community of 100 people that only want to give, who would they be giving it to?
1: Hmm.
0: People have to be willing to receive And if people haven't got a level of vulnerability, if their ego is still not allowing them to say, I need help, they are not suitable to a community. So their first step, Brenny Brown says it, you know, you've got to be vulnerable. The first step is starting to know that you can ask for help and that your vulnerability does not affect your credibility. You cannot be a community member if you're not willing to receive as well. Um, And, the other thing is that I wrote a blog in 2001 called Emotional Wealth Leads to Financial Wealth. A lot of people are totally transaction-led, but I can absolutely swear to you, case study after state case study, if you join a community, when your emotional wealth grows, your financial wealth grows, and you've got to believe that and take that step.
2: Wow. On that note of giving and receiving... If someone does have a question, they want to connect with you. You have a book, um, Business is Personal. What is the best way for them to A, connect with you, B, get the book?
0: Um, Well, the book is on audio because I think a lot of people like that as well as print. So they can get that. Business is Personal is actually sort of um, a part of the journey of understanding our inner self, preparing you almost to be part of a community. And it was a, it was a very honest story of my journey in entrepreneurship and some of the mental mental health challenges that I needed to overcome to become stronger and and things. Um, I'm actually writing my community book now. In terms of getting hold of me, um, well, I'm very happy to give my email address. Please. If it please. gets abused, it's, abuse, it's penny at pennypower.co.uk. Um, please connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I am. I. I'm very happy to very quickly go on to WhatsApp with people. I love WhatsApp. So, and and equally, I'm very happy to send a PDF copy of my book to someone if that's easier for them, um, as a gift. Um, and I'd just say, I'd also say, look inside yourself anyway, because we are pack animals. <laughs> we are. We have spent too long acting like lone wolves. And if you just look into your inner self, you have the capacity to build a beautiful community or to be a beautiful citizen anyway. Um, But if I can help anyone, I'd be delighted to.
2: Penny, you have been a tremendous help today. You have helped me. I know that you've helped those who are listening around the world. So thank you for sharing your knowledge. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for sharing your experience. Connect with Penny, learn with Penny, grow with Penny. Penny, thanks so much for joining me for another episode of Banking on Digital Growth.
0: Thank you,
2: James. It was wonderful. As always. And until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed.
1: Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com slash insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.